All right, I'm going to open up with a famous preacher's experience. I am not that famous preacher. I'm not famous, and I hadn't, did not have this experience. But this, uh, this comes directly from Dr. Tony Evans. Dr. Tony Evans is a, is a preacher from uh, Dallas, Texas, I believe. And he was a, in his day, he was quite the athlete. I was on the football field as a weak side linebacker. I'm not going to explain what that is for those of you folks. He's, he's playing defense. A pass was thrown to a receiver, and I backed up just barely with the quarterback not seeing it and intercepted the pass. I tucked the ball under my arm and was ready to cut back the other way. I mean, I'm sure he saw a touchdown, awaiting, glory awaiting him. He cut back, he put his foot down, it was muddy, and his foot didn't move. He turned to try to, move, to go the other way. His foot still did not move. Then an offensive player who was now on defense smacked him. That's the best way that I can explain to it. His cleat did not come up. His leg snapped in two. He said, as I lay on the field and unable to help myself, I couldn't get up because I had broken both bones, the tibia and the fibia. He was done. He was laying there in pain. He couldn't move. They came with a stretcher. They hauled him off, and then they took him to the emergency room. And there in the emergency room, two hospital interns came in. And, of course, the interns, well, they, they kind of know what they're doing. That word, that kind of. They tried to help him. And he says they were obviously still learning. They, he screamed as they attempted to put his leg back into place. Screamed. And they were hurting him, and they thought they were helping him. But as he says, and as we'll see soon, when you're suffering, you want someone who knows what they're doing to be able to help you. Well, the interns finally called an orthopedic surgeon, and he came in, examined the situation. He looked at it, I'm sure took x-rays, and he said, because of the nature, and I quote, because of the nature of the break, we just can't, we can't reset this in the normal way. Your bones shattered when they broke. We're going to have to do surgery to correct the problem, and when we will, we'll have to put a steel plate in your leg to hold your bones together. In other words, he had to be hurt to be helped. The doctor had to hurt him to help him. And he goes on to say, years later, some many years later, he says, I still have a steel plate in my leg. He said, no one would know that I had a steel plate in my leg. No one would even know unless you were there that day that I had a steel plate in my leg. I still walk correctly. I can, I can walk without limping. I don't wince when I'm, when I'm walking. And he's fine. You don't know that there's steel plates in his leg. The specialist fixed my leg in such a way that it looks like there was never any pain. Think about that. It looks like there was never any pain. 
he goes on to say, when you are restored by a person who knows what he's doing, you will be restored in such a way that no one knows that you were ever broken. Now, if you've never made a grievous mistake, if you've never fallen flat on your face because you have, let's face it, you have done something against the Lord Jesus, this, you might just think, well, this isn't for me today. Don't walk away. Because if you walk away or turn, turn the switch off, you're not going to turn the YouTube off. You're only going to hurt the feelings of those people who know that we are, we, we've fallen. We can't do anything. We're not, perf- we're not perfect. Definitely away from it. But don't think that this word is not for you today. But for all of us, for all of us who are here, for all of us who are within the sound of my voice, we're given to, that, to us today a lesson that the Lord Jesus, how he lovingly restores and responds to an impetuous follower who has fallen flat on their face. You ever been there? I have. And the sad part of it is many times. And even more importantly, how Jesus restores a deeply flawed individual and uses them for his glory. That's worth listening to. And it's something that gives us much hope. Those of us who are damaged and defective. I'm admitted that. I'm a defective human being. But the Lord still gives hope. I'm going to give you some backstory of what where our passage comes from today. It comes from the 21st chapter of John. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love you to, for you to turn there. If you have devices, turn there to the 21st chapter of John. And Jesus of Nazareth, he's been ministering to, to folks in Israel for a little over three years. This is the backstory. This is, gives us what's going on behind the scenes. He had personally selected a group of 12 followers who were called his disciples. That's what we know them as. All right, there were more than 12, but the 12 intimate disciples that were talked about in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, for those of you who don't know what a gospel is, a gospel is like a biography. It's the biography of Jesus. And each one of them tells a different, the same story, but from a different, different way. Out of the 12 disciples, three men were very, very close to Jesus. That would have been Peter, James, and John. Now, Peter, he was the de facto leader of the group. This man was known for his mouth, and it was always never really in a good spot. He was, he bragged. He also was impulsive, and he was headstrong and very outspoken. Well, James and John, they weren't far, really that far from Peter. They were siblings. They were the sons of Zebedee, if you ever see something in the Gospels. They were known also as the sons of thunder. Why so? Because they loved, they wanted to call fire 
and brimstone and lightning down on a town because they rejected Jesus. These guys were hotheads. James was the first apostle slash disciple that was killed. He was the first disciple that died for his faith. Stephen beat him to it, but Stephen was not a, an apostle. James was the first one who died. John, later, he, he's the one that wrote the, the biography, the Gospel of John. He also wrote Revelation in the first two, first two, three Gospels of John. He described himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, why would he say that? Because Jesus loved all his disciples. Because John, being a son of thunder, I believe knew that he did not deserve the love that Jesus gave him. Well, Jesus had told all of his disciples that he would soon be handed over to the authorities. He told them this nine months ahead of time. You will, I, will be, I will go to Jerusalem. They will arrest me. They will beat me. They will crucify me, but in three days I will rise again. Now, Mark's gospel tells us that after Peter had heard this, now, Peter, remember, the headstrong, impetuous one, he's going to tell Jesus what to do. He says this. He said, no way. This will never happen to you. Thinking to himself, this is not how they treat the Son of God. This is not how they, because he had just said earlier, Jesus had asked him, who do the people say that I am? And Peter got it right. They say, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And Jesus told Peter, only the Father could have given you that answer. More or less, you've done good. You're listening. Well, Peter said this after... He said, no, it shouldn't happen to you. But Jesus said this, turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, adversary. Now, I wouldn't want to be called Satan. That is not cool at all. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Fast forward. Thursday night before Jesus dies. They have just had the Last Supper. They have taken what is called, they've, Jesus changed the Passover into communion. And they're finished, and they're walking out to the Mount of Olives, the last night that Jesus will be on earth, alive in his form now. And he, they're walking out, and as they're doing this, he tells them this. He tells the disciples this. He says, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, looking at the other 10 disciples at that time. <laughs> I don't care what you say. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I will never. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Within hours. Within hours. 
Peter had denied Jesus three times, and the, the thing that I would look like as as a man, he denied him in front of a little girl. He was so scared. He was scared of a little girl. Nothing against you little girls. The Gospel of Luke tells us, and while he was still speaking, this is Peter still speaking, in the process of denial, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine the last time that you see the Lord Jesus alive? He's looking at you, and you know you have just denied him the third time, just as he said you would. I can't imagine what that would be like. Well, Jesus died later that day on a Roman cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb that he only needed, only needed for a part of three days. And after Jesus had risen, after he had risen, just as he said, the brave ladies who came to the tomb, I keep telling that, I want that to be known. The ladies were, had the guts to show up. The ladies were the ones who, they were going to give Jesus a proper, what they thought a proper burial. And the angel said, go tell his disciples and Peter. Listen to that. Go tell his disciples and Peter that the tomb was empty. The Lord is alive. Have you ever wondered why did they single out Peter? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Why did they single him out? Humanly speaking, Peter had done something that he didn't believe could ever or would ever be overlooked. Think about that. He had denied his Lord. How could this, how could he overlook this? He had very publicly denied his Lord. Peter had lost his joy, he had lost his assurance, and he had lost his boldness. We too. We too can have this happen. Isn't that how we feel when we've fallen short? When we've denied our Lord in word or deed? When we know we should have said something and we've kept silent? Or we've done something that's totally out of character for a Christ follower? We too can lose our joy, our assurance, and our boldness. But Jesus understands he understands what it takes to restore the fallen. Well, where we had last left off, Peter and six of other of the disciples, we left them at breakfast. Jesus had given them breakfast after a night, a brutal night of fishing, which the men had caught nothing. They'd been skunked. And but it was a lesson that they needed to learn. And without Jesus, the lesson, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Well, the Lord had told them all he said, throw your, throw your net on the other side. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. Seven and a half feet difference. And they ended up with 153 large fish. And we pick up the story today as the two men walked together on the shore 
with the other disciples following closely behind them. Remember, the other, the other disciples are within earshot. They're listening. They want to know what, what's going on, what's being said. I'd ask you to look at your Bibles beginning at verse 15 in John chapter 21, where we understand that past failure can be forgiven. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said, Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, before I talk about what Jesus said, let's make sure that we grasp what Jesus didn't say. Really, we really need to understand this is what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say this. Peter, you're a big talker, and you didn't keep your word. He didn't say this. I'm very disappointed in you some friend you are. He didn't say this. I even call this the coup de gras. And you call yourself a disciple? He didn't say that. Peter, three times, Peter's asked almost the same question. We'll see if you're paying attention. How many times was he asked, do you love me? Three times. Why three? Why three? The simple answer is, how many times did Jesus, or was Jesus denied by Peter? Three times. Three. And Jesus asks him three times so Peter can confess his love for Jesus. We always go on the, on the dark side. We always look, oh, he's, he's making him stew in his own juices. Well, yeah, he was making him stew in his own juices to a kind, but he was able to tell Jesus what he wasn't able to tell him that night. I love you. I love you. Jesus knew the, the pain that Peter felt, but Jesus wasn't there to cause pain. He was there to heal. He was there to relieve it. The same is with us. Jesus knew the pain that Peter felt. He had seen his tears, not tears, the tears of being caught, not like, oops, my hand was in the cookie jar. No, that's not why Peter was crying. Tears of repentance. Tears of repentance. Well, look at your scriptures, and the first time that Jesus asked Peter, the the Lord very specifically asked him something. It was a little bit different 
do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? What, what or who was Jesus referring to here? What is, okay, what is these? Okay, was it the fishing equipment? Was it the boats? Was it the net? Notice I'm not asking this group over here because they love their boats and their nets and their broads. It's Fred and Greg over there. But Jesus said, do you love me more than these? Do you love your old occupation? Or was it Jesus referring to, do you love me more than these people? Do you love me more than these buddies? No, I don't believe that either fit. I believe that the issue that Jesus is confronting here is Peter's pride. And we'll see that later on in this passage. His pride is being confronted, even more precise. What we love to do and what we, we always do, but we shouldn't do, comparison. Comparison. Why do you say that? Because Peter had placed himself above the other men. What did he say? Even if these leave you, I'll never. I won't. Because I'm here. I've got your back. Even if these folks do it, because believe, I'm so much better than these guys. They always ask, well, who's the greatest? Well, everybody knows that I am, speaking of Peter. He truly believed that he was greater than the rest, but he found out the hard way that he had no leg to stand on. He had fallen hard. Peter had fallen hard publicly. This was a public betrayal. So Jesus restored, confronted Peter publicly. I think we can learn from this. If we are sinned against privately, if it's a private matter, it doesn't need to go outside. It, all, it should stay between the offender and the offended. But when it's public, it needs to be addressed publicly. And he'd fallen hard, and Jesus was there to pick him up publicly. We're told in the Scriptures that Jesus had already talked to Peter by himself. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that. He appeared to Peter and then the twelve. So Peter had already seen him. Speaking of falling, coming up short, have you been there? Have you ever been there? You've fallen hard. You failed him. And he's there to pick you up. And he has picked you up. Is your face possibly still in the sand? Is your face still planted? You still picking the rocks out of your arms? He asked you the same question that he asked Peter. Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? 
And after seeing and feeling the enormity of his sin, he didn't even trust his own feelings anymore. That third time, he was greatly grieved. I, I don't even know. I think I do. I want to. But I, you can see I've fallen before. You know everything. He goes to Jesus' omniscience. You, you know everything. I love you. Jesus had answered him every time. Each time he responded with his specific call to ministry. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Encompassing the whole flock of God. Encompassing everything from little baby Christians, whether they're a baby this a Christian this high or a baby Christian who stands this high, all the way to the most mature person who has walked in the faith. Feed my sheep. That was Peter's calling. It wasn't you make, you make sure that the other shepherds do their job. No, it was feed the sheep. And notice the, the order. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then feed the sheep. It's love Jesus, then feed. Love Jesus, then do your work. Love Jesus, then do your ministry. Love God, then his people. Love, then service. And we know this. Scripture teaches us this. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Some 30 years later, Peter wrote what he learned firsthand on that shore. That love covers a multitude of sin. Would you turn to the book of 1 Peter, please? First Peter chapter 5. He wrote this some three decades later. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, in the context, this applies to the pastors, the elders, the deacons, and the other leaders of the church. But, folks, it applies to you as well. You have responsibilities for each of your flock as well. Each one of you is a, is a leader to someone, somewhere. Well, how so? How, how can we do this? Marriages, they need husbands to love Jesus. Husbands, you need to love Jesus, and then it overflows. It'll overflow to your wives. 
families. You need your dads and your moms to love Jesus. You need your dads specifically. Love Jesus, which flows out to your children. I don't care if they're old or young. Love Jesus. Husbands, we need our lives, to, our wives to love Jesus. We need our wives to love Jesus because it overflows to us because Jesus loves the unlovable. For those of you who are single, love Jesus. He has your life in his hands. You can trust him. For single parents, you need to love Jesus. Your babies need you to do that. Insert your name here. Jesus asked, do you love me? What's your response? You know that I love you. Well, Jesus wasn't through with Peter. He had more to tell him, and I believe it was something that showed Peter that he was truly restored. It allowed him to, the freedom to minister for the rest of his life, some over 30, 30 years. And it allowed him to minister without fear. And he understood that he, he had not been thrown on the scrap heap. Continuing in verse 18, now please follow with me here because... You're going to go, how did this allow Peter to minister freely? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And John parenthetically writes, parenthetically writes, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The first century historian Eusebius explains that Peter was crucified in Rome at the command of the emperor Nero. And on his way to the cross, he said, I don't want to be crucified right side up. I want to be crucified right side up, upside down because I don't deserve to die the same as my Lord died. All this, Peter seen his wife being crucified before he was. That's a big price to pay. For a man who gave everything to God because God gave everything to him. Church Peter had failed in the past, but he was promised that he would glorify God in the future. And which one of us 
on our deathbed does not hope that we can say, God, you will be glorified in what is happening now. How could he do this? How, how could he do ministry? How could he willingly follow Jesus when he knew what awaited him? A cross awaited him. Well, he knew this. He knew that his Lord prayed for him when he was weak. He knew that his Lord forgave him when he failed more than once. His Lord had healed a painful memory, not holding his sins against him. His Lord believed in him, and his Lord had first laid down his life for him so he could truly live. And he was promised this, that he would live with his Lord forever. Isn't it remarkable that he doesn't mention anything about his ministry? He doesn't mention anything about his life prior to that. He just mentions what's going to happen at the end. What did Jesus, or excuse me, what did Peter said? What did he say? I will die with you. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. One observation that I like to I like to think about, and then we'll move on. In Acts 12, Peter was thrown into prison, and he awaited execution the next day. And James, John's brother, had been killed that week. He had been beheaded. Now, Peter, we, we see Peter in Acts 12, and he's sleeping between two guards. Now, I don't know if, about you, but if I think if I'm awaiting death, I don't think I'm going to go to sleep. I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty nervous. I'm, not, I'm wondering what's going to happen the next day. Why did Peter, why was he able to sleep? I think it's because he knew which way he's going to die. And you know the Jews didn't have any, they couldn't crucify people. He knew that he wasn't going to go that way. That's why the, the angel had to poke him in the ribs and say, get up. That's free. You don't have to pay for that. Christ followers truly lived lives sold out. Sold out for him. The scriptures say, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Peter's death would not be a tragedy, but it would be victory because God would be glorified. He said, follow me, meaning keep following me. Peter's restoration was complete. Before springtime was over, some six or seven weeks in the future, Peter went from this place on the shoreline to Jerusalem where he preached the sermon of his life. 3,000 converts. A man who was fearful, who had no hope, no hope 
after Jesus' restoration, was able to speak the truth about Christ, and 3,000 people came to Christ. And the world has never been the same. The restoration was complete, but there still needed to be, he still needed to learn something that is vitally important. I like to think there was a lot of Pete and Peter still. There's a lot, often a lot of Peter in us. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom, lo- whom Jesus loved following them. Now, this is John. This is the man who wrote this gospel. He turned and he, he saw him following the one who had leaned back upon Jesus against Jesus on that supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? I don't think he said it quietly. He said, what about, what about this man? What, what about him? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is, it, what is that to you? You follow me. Still comparing. Still keeping score. Still watching someone else besides Jesus. Now, Peter, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, right, so I'm trying to put my, myself in his spot. He's thinking, you know, Lord, I'm going to end up dying for you. That's pretty big stuff. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to end up dying for you and, and that's a lot, right? And you, you should commend me for that. That's a, that's a lot. I'm going to follow you. But what about him? Was there, some, was there a bit of jealousy involved? I think th- there probably was. I think there was a one-upmanship. Maybe he was thinking, is John closer to Jesus than me? Why did he have the seat of honor at the, at the Last Supper? I didn't, I had to ask John to ask Jesus questions. Why did I have to sit over here? Well, you know what though, but, but I saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain, and so, but so did John. Hmm. Well, Jesus gave the responsibility of taking care of his mother to John. Why not me? Well, Peter, you weren't there. Peter, you were hiding. John was at the foot of the cross. Church, Peter had taken his eyes off of Jesus. He had taken his eyes off of Christ and begun to look at others. When you attend a a children's choir concert, and we all, we all love to do that. You're not surprised when a, when a kid, when the children poke each other. Or what I love to see is a mic fight. I've seen that. It's awesome. Or they, they wiggle, they squirm. They very rarely, sorry, Joel, they don't look at the director. Uh, they, they try to find, oh, there's mommy, there's daddy, there's, there's grandpa. Woohoo! Occasionally they sing, and we smile at their antics. Uh, You know, the behavior is cute in children. It's not so cute when an adult choir member doesn't watch the conductor, is it? 
Because good music depends on singers who pay attention to the director so they can stay together as they sing. Christians sometimes are like singers in a children's choir. Let that sink in. Instead of looking at Jesus, the great conductor of the symphony of life, we're busy squirming and looking at each other and, or paying attention to the audience instead of paying attention to the director. Is somebody else watching me? Oh, look at that. Why are they? Why is Jesus using them? Why, why did they get that ministry? Jesus admonished Peter for such behavior, and after he told him what would be required of him, Peter pointed to John, and he asked again, what about him? Why isn't our church as big as other ones down the road? Why aren't my, all my kids following Christ? Why is my Sunday school smaller than someone else's? After Jesus told him what was required of him, Peter pointed to John. He said, what about him? And Jesus answered the question with a question. What is that to you? You follow me. Again, insert your name there. You follow me. Because the truth is, sometimes we're distracted by what others are doing. We think that God's plan for their life is better than the plan for ours. Have you been there? But God's plan for each of us is the same. Love Jesus and then follow Jesus. When we watch Him intently, we'll not be distracted by God's plan for anyone else. We're going to close here. And I think it really applies to us, each and every one of us here. Don't look at the person next to you. Don't even look at me. Jesus still asks, do you love me? And if you do, follow me wherever I lead you. Keep your eyes on me, not others. Lord God, we come to you as men and women and boys and girls who fall short. And we too are asked, do you love me? I hope that answer is yes. Lord God, you did not come to condemn the world. because we're condemned already, because we are sinners. 
Lord God, you have loved us with an everlasting love. You died for us while we were yet sinners. And you make eternal life available to us by believing in you, by trusting in you. And that's the start because we cannot love you until we are in you. Father, if there is someone here who has not come to your son, who are still doing their own thing, living their own lives, and have not laid their lives down at the foot of the cross and trusted you, may they do that today. May we truly be able to say, we love you, and we will follow you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.